0: Ecclesiastes 9, verses 7 through 10, go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. that, That right there is one of the most impacting of all scriptures, if you just hear that. Turn to your neighbor and say, you can be happy, God approves of you. Would you do that? Did you get that? God approves of you. Somebody ought to shout right there, God approves of me. Does that mean he's pleased with everything in my life? No. But you're his child and just like your children. Amen. Or loved by you unconditionally, God loves you the same way. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. I'll explain that in a moment. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. What is your lot in life? Eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart and know that God approves of you. Be clothed in wipe. What his meaning is, don't go around wearing sackcloth and ashes. That They would have understood it to mean that in their culture. In other words, get rid of the depression in the morning. Amen. And be anointed. Tell somebody the depression ended already. Would you do that? Tell somebody this is my year to be anointed. Would you do that? Anoint your head with oil. Enjoy your life with your wife. Tell somebody my family is going to be blessed this year. My marriage, my relationships, how long? All the days. And it says of this meaningless life. Some people's life have no meaning. God is here trying to give us meaning. Amen. And it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm, listen to this, in the realm of the dead where you are going, There is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. In other words, buddy, you got one shot. Live it up right now. That's what that literally means. Don't keep postponing happiness to another time. Now, I want to read this in the message by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson has written the message, and it's a conversational Bible meant to supplement your reading of the Word of God from other sources, listen to what he says, instead of go eat your bread or your food with gladness. He says, seize life, eat bread with gusto, drink wine with a robust heart, oh yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. (laughs) Dress festively every morning, don't skip on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love each and every day of your precarious life. Each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And heartily. This is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. (laughs) Just by way of observation, if you question that last part, I would challenge you to be aware that all those he spoke to when Solomon wrote this many, many years ago, they are now where he said they would be. In connection with that, Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. I spoke on that last week in a different context. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I want you to really look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Amen. Listen to that. And despising the shame has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Powerful. Father, today speak a word to our hearts that will Guide us and direct us. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. Let it illuminate the path we should take this year as individuals and as a corporate body of believers. I really believe that something has broken through. As I mentioned last Sunday, I'll talk about it again today, God help us to be able to walk in the fullness of everything. That you have for us, reserved for us to fulfill these very scriptures that we can seize life, live it robustly and happily, not in depression or sadness, but rather as anointed men and women of God, join our families, our marriages, our businesses, our lives here. Help us to make them count in Jesus' name we ask and everybody said amen. Based on these scriptures, I think you will agree with me, life was meant to be enjoyed. It was meant to be enjoyed. joy. We already know that because Jesus teaches us that he came to give us life and that we might have it more abundantly. It is an undisputed fact, however, that those who make their lives count for something significant enjoy the lives they live more than those who do not have something significant to live for. Do you know what separates those who make their lives count from the rest of the pack? It's one word. It's passion. Passion for something significant. This is going to be a year of great breakthroughs. Amen. And as I seek the Lord, I actually begin... The first part of last year, I don't wait till a year rolls around to seek God for direction. I think that that God and likes for us to plan. The people of the world plan. I think God wants us to. Didn't Jesus say that? You know, if you're going to build a tower, you first sit down and count the cost. In other words, planning is an important part of success in life, and that's true in the kingdom. Earlier this past year, I was seeking the Lord, and I really felt God impress upon me the direction that He wanted us to take this year, and it was unusual because it came so early in the year, and I knew I had my assignment for last year already cut out for me, and it wouldn't be time to deal with both, and as I prayed, I realized that what He was speaking to me about was for the year 2014. Now, last year in many ways was for me very challenging. As I mentioned last Sunday, um, I went through a lot of warfare last year. That's not something I normally talk about. I'm mature. I'm mature in my years now. I'm mature in a lot of ways. I'm not impulsive. I'm not as young as I used to be. Um, I'm mature in my faith in God. doesn't mean I don't have a ways to go. We all do. This is the one thing you can say about serving God. You never learn it all. He's so big you can't. Amen. This side of glory, we're all students. But I have come a ways. When I first got saved, I'd go through a rough place. It could upset me. You know what I mean? You walk through a, a, a rough period and when you don't feel God near, and you say, hey, God, where'd you go? And if he doesn't show up right away and answer, well, I'm here. You, you go through a few more days of that, and then you, oh, God's forsaken me. God, why'd you leave me? You know, I'm not like that anymore. You know, I figured out that God doesn't ever leave me nor forsake me. He's always there. Amen. I've been in this long enough now to know he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And even when I think he's not there, he's there. (laughs) He is. I just don't see him sometimes, but he's there. I love that story from the book of Daniel where the three Hebrew children are cast into the fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to worship the idol to Made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember that? They were bound and thrown into this superheated furnace. It was heated seven times hotter than any other. And and to the amazement of King Nebuchadnezzar, who expected them to be consumed in an instant, he looked in and they're walking around. And all the flames did, are you getting this? Was burn the ropes off they had been bound with. Didn't even burn their clothing. And he said, didn't we throw three into the fire? Because I see one, two, three, four. And he said, the fourth is like the Son of God. He saw Jesus walking around in the furnace with the three Hebrew children. Now this is what is amazing that I love about that story. When you read Jewish rabbinical writings and there were Jewish rabbis that lived in that day, this is what they wrote they said that when the king looked in the furnace, he saw the fourth man. But the guys walking through the flames didn't. And there have been times I've walked through the fire and wondered where he was. And this is what's amazing. Everybody else could see the fourth person in the fire. But the three who were in it couldn't see him. They're saying, where's he at? And everybody else is saying, wow, look at what God's doing in their lives. This past year has kind of been like that for me. And I'm mature enough now that if I go through a little rough place, that I don't get all bent out of shape. And I've also learned that as a pastor, I sometimes walk through things that are not even associated with me. They're not connected with me because of the leadership capacity that God has placed me in, I sometimes walk through things for the congregation that he has asked me to be a shepherd of. Read that in the Bible. Prophets often were made to feel certain things for the nation of Israel because of what Israel was going through. Amen. Look at Hosea, for example. Mary and Gomer. Many illustrations like that. And so this past year, I went through the whole year. It was just, uh, to be honest with you, a time of spiritual warfare. But it was okay. That's cool. I've learned not to be upset. I'm kind of like Job. God doesn't show up today. I know he's still there. Amen. And Job said, I looked for you before, and I went behind, and on the right hand, and on the left, and I couldn't find you, but that's okay. You know the way I take, and you're going to show up here in a little while. And and that's just kind of how me and God are. We're cool like that, you know? I mean he don't have to call and check on me every 30 seconds and you okay? You okay? No. I'm okay. I know he's there. I I've, I've made it through so much stuff. I shouldn't have made it through that I've learned he's committed to me now. Amen. So last year was not bad in terms of challenges and and my, my health, I've been through those. You're aware of that. All the automobile accidents I've had and multiple surgeries. And you're, you're familiar. And I don't want to bore you with all of, all of that by just calling your attention to it. But it is my testimony. And that's the one thing Paul used over and over again was his testimony. And I do remind you that it's been, I guess, 12 years ago now. I had a team of specialists told me, in two years, you're going to be medically retired. That you can't keep on. You've got too much. You've gone through and too much, and uh, you're going. You, too much pain, suffering. Oh, you're strong. You're persistent. You're 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 going to keep forcing yourself to walk through it. But trust us, we've been through this with a lot of folk. Two years, we've been through this with professional athletes and others. Two years, you're going to be medically retired. That's twelve years ago, and I preached four times every Sunday morning. Amen. And that's my testimony. But this past year has nothing to do with that. No physical situation. I feel great. Amen. I do. Amen. I just get my second win right now. I'm serious. I'm having the time of my life. And it has been challenging in terms of spiritual opposition. The intensity of the heavenly warfare I'm not talking about people hating me or, I mean, even some of that probably manifested once in a while, you know. But that was their problem. I learned one of the most important things in life is to know who owns a problem. And if you don't like me, that's your problem, not mine. (laughs) I don't mean to to sound arrogant. I'm going to love you anyway. And so you just go ahead and hate me all you want. I'm going to love you in spite of it. But... The latter part of the year, the last two months, really became intense. And then, as I shared last Sunday, was flying out of Africa last Friday night, got on the plane at 11 o'clock. we took off a little after 11 o'clock, flew all night, landed in Amsterdam. I went to sleep on the plane when we landed in Amsterdam. I grabbed my carry-on bag, put on my little jacket, and I walked to the lounge and sat down waiting for my next flight. And as I was walking down F Concourse, in Amsterdam Schiphol because that's where our plane had landed so i'm walking from the gate that we have arrived at toward the lounge which is at the end of F concourse as i'm walking i'm thinking something feels different and i don't feel quite the same way i did when i went to sleep last night and uh, it, it just something is different and i was trying to take a little inventory what is it you know that, that makes it's not the temperature it's not cold or hot or whatever not that I'm feeling, you know, sick or was sick, and now I'm not, no. And I sat out in the lounge and, and, and just sat down for a moment and thought, what is this? And it suddenly clicked with me. And I realized that the heavens had shifted. I wasn't feeling the opposition that I had felt when I got on the plane and went to sleep the night before. There had been a breakthrough. And I shared with you that I had only been there a couple of hours when I received a text message from one of my sons. In Europe, one of my spiritual sons telling me, I dreamed about you last night. And I dreamed you were in intense warfare and worship and God sent angels and there was a breakthrough. And like, whoa, by now the hair on the nap of my neck is standing up. Because one of the things that I felt led to teach on this year, I get myself into this problem where I'm not like some guys and, and this is not boasting. I, I mean, this book is so full, I don't understand how you can read it not see what I'm saying but some guys get the jitters and, and bad case of nerves on Saturday night and they don't have anything to preach that's not the way it is with me I go to the pulpit with all my fingers stuck in so many different places in the scripture you know I'm wondering God how much of this can I get through without preaching too long amen and seriously and so I do all these things like instead of speaking on spiritual authority I got to do 12 dimensions of spiritual authority you know what you heard me. and and I want to preach on breakthroughs, but I've got 25 ways that God gives breakthroughs. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. And I'm thinking, how can I get through all of this? Because one of the things you learn in serving God is there are principles in the kingdom that once you learn them, you, the devil can't take them away from you. They work. And once you learn these things, God who never changes, once you learn how to move the situation by moving God, you can employ this again and again because one of the problems we face in life living in a fallen world among fallen people is that we're always running into problems here, lateral, you know, horizontal in this earthly realm. And we try to tackle the problem in the earthly realm, right? You can't. Some of it's bigger than you. I need somebody to just acknowledge that. Now, you can't say amen unless you lived here a little while. Because uh, you may think you're still young and full of vinegar and you can overcome some stuff. Just hang around. Some stuff you can fight it all you want and it's not going anywhere and it's going to still laugh at you. That's why God says on some occasions, stand still I feel the Holy Ghost in that and see the salvation of the Lord. And so breakthroughs come about not because we fight the problem, because we sometimes can't change that. They come about because we learn that instead of addressing it horizontally, we address it vertically by going to Him. We can't change that. We're not big enough. But we can move Him. And once we move Him, He can change that, and it will never be the same again. Now, this is going to be an incredible year of breakthroughs. Now, the the thing I talked about, breakthroughs, what I felt in my spirit was not even for me. The more I pray about it, the more I realize that I was feeling something on behalf of this congregation. Life was meant to be enjoyed, as I said. Those who make their mark, Do not do so because they're smarter or more gifted or have greater opportunities than others. Wasted intelligence, talent, and opportunities are common in life. Often those who make the greatest impact with their life, whether in business, ministry, or any other arena of life, are not even the most gifted, nor are they those who have the most doors open to them. I want you to hear what I'm saying. Because breakthroughs are not gonna come just because you got the right hookup, connection. This isn't gonna be your year just because you got doors opening for you. And that's why you ought to be encouraged because if you don't have any doors opening for you, this message is for you because it's not about open doors. Amen. It's the ones who make the best use of what they have who end up excelling, they have passion and passion propels them to dimensions and heights that others with greater talent, skills, opportunities, and resources often never attain to. That's true in ministry, business, family, anything you want to talk about. It's not the talent that you start with. It's not the giftedness. It's not the connections. It's not the open doors. It's not the hookups, none of that, not the sponsors, not people, angels opening doors on your behalf. No, no, no. I'll tell you what it is. It's your passion that touches the heart of God. This is why I've read these verses here today. What your hand finds to do, do it with your might. That's passion. Again, he says, seize life. Eugene Peterson, eat your bread with gusto. Drink your wine with a robust heart because God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Amen. Dress festively every morning. Don't skip on colors and scarves and relish life with the spouse you love. This is going to be our year for living life passionately. Amen. As we move on here, there's some things I would like to share. Too many people cry. Just let, hear what I'm going to say. Too many people cry about the chances they never had. So it's not about chances. Too many people mourn chances they never had while never noticing those that are standing right in front of them. Amen. It's also unfortunate, and I need to address this. That very many people believe that today's world has changed to such a degree that you now need to forget God, forget righteousness, delete those words from your vocabulary if you're going to really have a good life. Amen. Don't be radical. Don't mention this God thing. Don't bring him into this. You know, don't you realize where we're living? This is 2014. Look, it's true that some people succeed without God and without observing the principles of the kingdom. You know what drives them to succeed? It's this very passion that I'm talking about. Passion is so powerful that even without God, you can make your life count. Now, here's what you need to know. You need to, if you think that, 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 that you don't need God someday and you can do it all on your own with passion, uh-uh, read Psalm 73. Verse 2 through 3, look at what the psalmist said here. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Why is that? For I was envious at the boastful. Oh, everybody's boasting these days. Come on, help me out. Pro- profiling, you know what I'm talking about. Out there styling, moving around. Look at me, amen. Everybody's got their own reality show these days. <laughs> Trying to show it up, live it out, you know? Stunting like my daddy, Little Wayne, used to call it years ago. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You say, hey, everybody else is doing it. Why not me? I'll tell you why not. Because you always need to hang around a few more verses. Tell somebody, don't leave. Hang around a few more verses. Would you do it? Because Psalm uh, 73 and 17 said, Until I went to the sanctuary, then understood I therein. They may be looking good right now, but later on there's a hard time coming. I want to talk to people that want to live the rest of their days seizing life and enjoying it to the fullest. So yes, you can, you can live your life and ignore God and have enough passion to succeed, but someday this will catch up with you right here. On the other hand, I firmly believe that you can honor God and be successful at the same time. That's God's plan and His will for your life. Would you agree with me? Amen. Just so that we know that I'm not just saying this. I'm not just speaking and shooting from the hip as it were. The most successful people who ever lived in biblical times were people who honored God and lived by the principles of his word. Amen. Amen. The family that God established called the Jewish people, a particular ethnicity in the Bible, they haven't always walked with God But what they have done is they've taught through the centuries and the millennial obey these principles of living. They may have forgotten the God in some cases that gave them the principles. But do you know that even up to this day, there is not an ethnicity in the history of mankind that has been as blessed as the Jewish people remain to be blessed today. Amen. Amen. I'm serious. They comprise only two and one half to four percent of the world's population. Yet it is estimated they control over 45% of the world's wealth and resources. Why? Because if you have passion and you honor God's word, God's going to make some things happen in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is our year for passion. Would you do that? Yes, it is. Can you feel it? Can you feel the passion? I've asked you to turn your face toward God this month. And this is our month to have passion for seeking God and prayer and fasting. Amen. It's going to affect everything we do throughout the rest of the year. Passion is actually what causes even those who ignore God to succeed. So powerful is the principle of passion that you can climb to the top and be successful in your life, even leaving God behind. Just remember, though, a few verses later, you got this to face. Amen. What did Jesus say about passion? Mark 11 and 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. If you want something bad enough, you can make it happen in your life. So this year, let's talk about how passion can help us make a difference and we can have breakthroughs in our life. I want to talk about passion for God this year. I want to talk about passion for church this year. I want to talk about passion for giving this year. Passion for my family this year. Amen. I want to talk about passion for destiny and ministry. This is going to be a year when we're going to make our lives count. Just to get on the same page, though, we're going to have to define what this word means, passion. Most of us think we know what it means. Amen. How many of y'all remember the old Walt Disney? I think it was Walt Disney cartoon, Pepe Le Pew. Oh, y'all remember that. I'm going to get real deep theologically right now. Most of us define passion as a Pepe Le Pew. You know what I'm saying. Oh, he was madly in love with that little cat in that movie, right? That's passion to most of us. That's not even really what passion means. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, passion is a noun that dates back to the 1st century, or rather the 13th century. Its etymology is a little a little unusual. It actually is a word that originated in Latin and then was borrowed by both the Middle English and the Anglo-French. Listen, the late Latin word, passio, is the word that we get our word f- passion from. Earlier, the lads pronounced it pati. And you know what it means? Thir- in the 13th century, when this word was coined, it meant to suffer. There you go. There's a different speed. You weren't expecting that one. Passion is not Pepe Le Pew. Passion is hurting. And this is why we call that period of time between the last supper and the crucifixion and finally the death of Christ, we call that the passion of Christ. Amen. Remember Mel Gibson's movie The Passion of Christ. It's called that because of his pain, his suffering. Over the years, meanings have changed. Very many of the words we incorporate into our daily vocabulary don't mean what they meant when they were first coined. For example, this word passion that means suffering, that particular application is now pretty much obsolete. Now it means, for example, an emotion. That's what we think passion is. For example, this guy his em- ruling passion is greed we would all understand what that meant we would mean uh, to, and when we said that that his his the thing that that he that he focused on constantly was making money he was passionate about making money his emotions as distinguished from reason right on the other hand passion also means intense driving overmastering feeling or conviction in other words very strong emotion it also means an outbreak of anger. For example, a common defense, whenever some uh, crime has been committed, is it's a crime of what? There you go. Passion. Didn't plan to do this. It got out of hand. Wasn't looking for this to happen. It was a crime of passion, and that is actually a legitimate defense that mediates, as it were, uh, uh, the, the the sentence that is that is. Given at the end of a trial, if there is conviction. Passion also means ardent affection, love, a strong liking or desire for or some activity or object or concept. It can also mean the object of my desire or my deep interest. My passion, for example, is the wife that I've lived with for 46 years. You could say that. Or my passion is God, or my passion is my children. And all of it comes from the word suffer. You say, how in the world did it ever evolve from from the Latin word passio to all of these other things? If it meant suffer, how did it come to mean all this other stuff? How did it ever become Pepe Le Pew to us? I'll tell you how it did. It means this, that when you want something so bad that it hurts, that's real passion. And I want to talk to you today because there's some things, if you're going to get them, you're going to have to want them bad enough that it hurts. You can't live without it. Can somebody in the building say hallelujah? hallelujah. And that's why it referred to Christ on the cross. He wanted us so bad, it hurt. It hurt. When you want something that bad, it makes a difference in your life, people with passion do more with their lives than those without passion because there's something that they, they want so badly they don't know when to stop, amen. They want it until they're willing to pay whatever price to get it. Joke, okay, joke, joke, joke. You ready, joke. <laughs> this guy had gotten overweight through the years, adding a few pounds every year, every year, until he really got big and he realized how badly out of shape he was. Worse, his romantic life had tapered off to kneel. None of his pickup lines were working anymore. (laughs) Amen. He winked, he looked the other way. He finally decided, I want to change. He went to the gym and he met a personal fitness trainer and asked him to be his coach and said, can you help me? And the fitness trainer said, I can. the The guy said, I can't get even a single date. Nothing works anymore. And he said, can you help me? I want to be happy. And the guy said, I can do it. Are you willing to do anything to get in shape and to lose the extra weight that you've added? And the guy said, I'll do it. I'll do anything. I want it. The next morning, a beautiful woman in a skin-tight exercise suit knocked at his door at 8 o'clock. When he went to the door, she was standing there, a vision of loveliness. And she said, if you can catch me, You can have me. And the guy huffing and puffing was out the door. That went on every morning for 12 months. He finally had lost 150 pounds. He was in the shape of his life. Move out of the way, SEAL team, here I come, you know? He was in shape. The next morning he thought, I can catch her tomorrow. I'm in the best shape of my life. Tomorrow I'm gonna catch her. Eight o'clock, when the doorbell rang, he was dressed. He went to the door, threw it open. And when he did, there was a woman that was standing there that was also out of shape like he had once been. And she said, your trainer told me to come tell you that if I can catch you, I can have you. When you want it bad enough to hurt. Amen. The French philosopher Francois de la Roquefoucauld had this to say Passionate people are the only advocates that always persuade. The simplest man with passion will be more persuasive than the most eloquent without. One reason the church has lost its impact in the world is we're afraid to demonstrate passion for God. It's okay to be passionate about sports, money. Okay to be passionate about movies. Okay to be passionate about about music. Just don't be passionate about God, right? Wrong. The world is not touched until they see passion. Amen. Amen. That is why even with all of the strikes against it, Islam has grown so rapidly. Seriously, it's because the one thing you've got to say is they're passionate. You may not agree with everything they're doing, and biblically, we can't support it. But tell me that passion doesn't have an impact. Amen, it does. The German philosopher Hegel said nothing great in the world has been, ever been accomplished without passion, and it hasn't. Because there are too many opposition, too uh, uh, obstacles rather, and too much opposition. If you don't have passion, you'll give up somewhere along the way. A great entrepreneur, one we've heard a lot about in recent years, Donald Trump said this: "Without passion, you don't have energy. Without energy, you have nothing." Listen to these words from John Wesley: "When you set yourself on fire, people love to come." and see you burn. This is our year to set ourselves on fire for God. This is our year to burn where somebody wants to come watch the flames, amen. So as I said, it's perfectly acceptable now to be passionate about just about anything but God, and I'm just about done already. The course of this year, I'm gonna teach you how to have passion for the things that matter most. So you can have breakthroughs that are unprecedented and unparalleled in your life. You say, why is it that having passion for God has become so unpopular? For the very reason that I'm preaching today, without passion you get nothing done. The devil wants to stop you in your tracks. He wants to silence your voice. He wants you to shut up and be quiet and don't make any waves. He wants you to go to work and spend the rest of your life. Not make your life count. And this is why in the book of Ecclesiastes 9, it goes on to say, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life. You ever get bogged down into accepting what the world says, your life loses meaning. You hear me? That's not God's plan for you. God wants you to enjoy your life. Seize life. Amen. Eat your, your food with gladness. Yes, he does. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Billy Graham said this about, about passion for God. If Christianity is anything at all, it is everything. Think about the profundity of that statement. If Christianity is anything at all, it is everything. Wow. What a truth. In just a few words, that is enough for you to go home and think about the rest of your life. That if there's anything at all to the existence of God, if there is any possibility that there's a hereafter where your spirit lives forever, if heaven and hell are real and the Bible is true, and if God does want to bless our lives and the Bible is his guide to teach us how to have a more fulfilling life here, then Christianity is the single most important thing you will ever study in your life. And God is the single most important one you will ever come to know and embrace. If he is anything at all, there is no middle ground. He is everything. You can't afford not to be passionate. And I believe that's what God's challenge to CT is this year. Let's live life with passion. Let's seek him. Let's know what it's like to have passion for going to church. It's okay to be passionate about the Texans, but suppose you have a greater passion for the house of God. Is there anybody that can say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord? Passion. This is why the writer in Hebrews tells us that in this race of life, we should look to Jesus if we want to see an example of how passion makes you achieve your objectives. Amen. He says that lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. When I read that verse, because of where I travel so often, I always think of the Messiah and these Kenyan runners that win every marathon. You know the ones I'm talking about? Trochich and some of these others. I've seen these guys. Nairobi is over a mile high. The Maasai are a nomadic people, and they don't own property, generally speaking. These guys were raised walking wherever they went. When they reached the age of being young men, they're called morans, M-O-R-A-N. Used to, if you wanted to become a man in their culture, you had to take your spear and your pango, which is a long knife, and go out into the forest or the plains of savannah the Messiah Mara, and kill a lion barehanded with those those weapons. Otherwise, you didn't get to marry. So if you wanted it bad enough, you had to go out. (laughs) That's wanting it bad. That's all I can say. Amen. And some of them still carry the scars to this day of their encounters. While I was there this week, there was an article in the paper about five of them that were mauled by a lion. Mauled by a lion. Well, if they learn to run in no other way, they learn to run getting away from the fellow, is the way I figure it. But whether it's a New York marathon, the Boston or whatever it is, who always pulls out in front? And you know, I see these guys when I'm in Nairobi. They're running everywhere. They don't use cars. I'm talking about the very ones you read about. They're running down the street. They've got nothing in their hands. They let everything go. All they have on is their running clothes and their their track shoes and they're out there. They've laid aside every weight. You know why? Because they've got a goal they're passionate about. What am I talking about? This is what the writer says. To us, we should also do the same and emulate them for that's what Jesus did. And who for the joy that was set before him. Next verse says he endured the cross and despised the shame. And look what happened. He sat down victoriously at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm closing, really am. But I want to tell you, in this life, you only get one shot. And that's what Ecclesiastes said. It's going to be over with before you know it. Make your life count. What your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Find a significant cause for your life. Get involved in the kingdom. Make your life count to your family. Make your time spent be well spent in this earth. Do what Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you up front that passionate people are not normal. Normal people don't want to make any waves. They don't want to rock the boat. But when you get passionate, you'll plant a a cord of whip into a whip, and you'll walk into a temple and throw over tables and chase money changers. And this is what the scripture said about his disciples, John 2:17. his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. When your passion is so great that it eats you up, your life gets out of balance. I'm going to tell you that up front, but there's nothing wrong with it because if you set yourself on fire, all those normal people who are saying don't make any waves, they'll come watch you burn because they want to make their life count too. They're so tired of their meaningless life. They're so tired of their empty life. They're so tired of not having a life that counts. Don't be afraid. Go ahead because if you do and you set yourself on fire, this is what Isaiah fifty three twelve 12 said, Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his soul or his life and the death. Pour yourself out for something. Pour yourself out for something. Amen. Too many people merely exist. And as I conclude, I think of Elijah who needed a replacement to put into ministry to take his place as he was about to depart and go home to his reward. And he saw Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. He found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Did you get that? Plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. That's 24 beasts. Most folk will plow with one ox or at the most two. This guy has 12 yoke. What was Elijah looking for? He was looking for someone with passion. Amen. Someone who wanted to get it done. Someone who would give it everything he had. He he needed somebody like that to be able to go to heaven himself and release the anointing he had carried to be passed on to his successor. He couldn't pass on his anointing to just anybody. So Elijah went by and threw his mantle on Elisha, the busiest guy in the country, amen, the most passionate guy in town. And when he threw his mantle on him, it symbolized that I want to give you my anointing. I just need to tell you that God's careful about who he gives his anointing to. I need you to know that up front. I need you to know that if you want to walk in mantles. that and uh, uh, ooh, I feel this. Ugh. Have mercy. How many mantles are unclaimed right now? From people who have gone before us. Maybe you're supposed to be carrying a mantle. Maybe you're supposed to be walking in somebody's anointing. But you got to kick up the level of passion just a little bit higher. You know what Elisha did? He took a yoke of those oxen, killed them, took the instruments of plowing and built a fire and sacrificed them and right then and there left and went and followed Elijah. Amen. Elijah wanted to pass the torch to somebody that had passion. You see, these days... You need to understand that being a prophet was much different, is much different than it was then. In those days, being a prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, was not being a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T. Like these preachers of L.A., forgive me. Back in those days, being a P-R-O-P-H-E-T was a job description that usually ended poorly for you. The life expectancy of a P-R-O-P-H-E-T wasn't very long in those days. Even Jesus said to Jerusalem, you have stoned the prophets that God sent unto you. They met ends that were not the kind you would want to look forward to in later years in life. They were stoned to death. They were beaten. They were sown asunder. And this is why Elijah had to find somebody that had passion you don't you don't make a mark if you're a p-r-o-f-i-t the opposition gets to go in the wrong way you'll water down and compromise your integrity so you can have a reality show you understand what i'm i'm not knocking anybody i'm just preaching okay i'm just talking to you right now and god needs somebody to have passion for him to call a nation and a world to God and to their knees yes and do you know that passion will always be tested so just before Elijah went to heaven they came first to the city of Gilgal then to the city of Bethel then to the city of Jericho and in each of those cases Elijah turned to Elisha and said you stay here I'm going on He was he was not really wanting Elijah to stay. Unless you look at it this way. If I can talk you into staying, stay. I don't need you if I can talk you into quitting. You're not the right. If I can talk you into giving up, you're not even the right guy. Stay. Have you ever studied the SEAL team's training program? Read about it? Coronado Beach, California, San Diego. Those guys go through some of the worst punishment you can imagine. And do you know what their instructor tells them? You see that bell? All you got to do is walk over there and ring it three times and lay your hat down. And you can quit and no one will ask any questions and won't think less of you. And they tell them, quit, go ahead. When all those guys are shaking with hypothermia and they can't move a muscle. And some of them are groaning and literally throwing up because of the exertion, passing out. They literally put them in a pool and let them drown and resuscitate them, tie their feet together and hands and make them pass out and then pull them back up and revive them. And they say, see that bell? Too much for you? Go ring it. Because if you got any quit in you, we want to find it right now. And this is why America has one of the strongest fighting forces in the world because if there's any quit we're going to discover it before they get on the battlefield this is what Elijah's doing to Elisha you got any quit in you you stay here he said I'm not staying I'm going with you and they together went on and even the sons of the prophets came And said, do you know your master is about to be taken away today? And sometimes you got to do what Elisha did. He looked at him and said, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. Which is nice for, I understand, shut up and mind your own business. Amen. I'm done. Stand with me today. Because your passion will be tested. But if you can hold on, this is a year for breakthroughs. Come on, somebody in the building. This is your year for a breakthrough.